the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency stands more and more at the center of cyber defense operations for the entire government. CISA officials say the evolution of their Continuous Diagnostics and Mitigation Program, CDM, has really helped defend agency networks from recent hacking attempts. For more, Federal News Network's Justin Doubleday spoke with CISA's Associate Director for Capacity Building, Michael Duffy. We started a little over a decade ago focused primarily on advancing and automating a lot of the ways that chief information officers would manage IT assets and conduct things like ATOs, authority to operate, monitor the state of assets on networks. It was a paradigm shift to have those kind of conversations as a program at the time, but certainly not operationally focused. And at the time, the operational use case for CDM had been primarily uh, limited to how agencies could provide cybersecurity information at some summary level to CISA to kind of showcase and demonstrate progress through metrics. The recent evolution of the program and increased operational relevance, and that's what we can talk about today uh, with recent events, was shaped, and I'd put it down to, to three or four things, is the first increasingly concerning threat environment and several major cyber events over the years that have led us to what evolved into more expansive authorities, an increased demand from agencies for these centralized services. And that on top of everything is kind of that resounding call post a few of these major incidents in in recent years to really strengthen the way the government is protecting its data on behalf of the American people, really kind of doubling down on our efforts to transform more operationally and in a more kind of protected minded way. So as part of that, With the progress that we've been seeing, and you've seen some of the headlines with the metrics, the progress we've seen at the agency level to implement key functions uh, in support of CDM, as well as improvements that we've been seeing in the the technology side of things, coupled with the administration's cyber executive order, that has really helped us drive these substantial changes to the way that we're increasing the operational visibility that CISA is gaining from the CDM program through the CDM dashboards and refining the way that we're working across agencies uh, to shape this new operational model. The way that we've been seeing it in CISA is the path to timely federal enterprise cybersecurity operations and truly making impactful risk management decisions is increasingly running through CDM. And that's been a pretty stark change in the way that we've seen CDM a decade ago to now. So all of this cybersecurity operational work for the federal government is more and more running through the CDM program, asking more of what the program can offer when it comes to operational visibility. And this not only as we we settle into this, this new era, it delivers on the program's founding vision for fixing the worst problems first and providing that shared visibility and getting that consistency in communications across agencies. But We take it a step further by advancing the operational response, incident response aspects of the program and getting down to the host level so that we can truly say, living up to America's cyber defense agency, we're more than a collection point for cyber information, but we've seen that it is a shift in the way that we're thinking of the CDM program as a central enterprise-wide cyber backbone to understand, manage, and reduce cyber risks, which ultimately comes down to what and why 
we are, are continuing to evolve this program to give us that opportunity to drive forward the mission and, and communicate that with the broader ecosystem. There's a lot of things to dig into here in this evolution, but one thing I did want to ask about right away was getting agency buy-in. How has that evolved? How have you gotten agencies to get down to this more granular operational level of CDM so you can have this visibility across all of these agencies? I think that is a great question. It's it's something that the CDM program and and, and all of us at CISA take very seriously. Of you know, we have I mentioned the evolving threat environment, the expanding authorities that CISA uh, has received. It it can be easy to say, well, we have the authority, we have the mandate, we just have to move forward. Uh, and one thing that is very clear for the way that CISA has, from day one, the way we've thought about our relationship, our partnership with other federal agencies, is really building that trust from the CIO and the CISO level down to the security operators uh, to really showcase the value that we're providing through CDM. I think in the early days, it could be challenging for an agency to see individual capabilities turning into this overarching vision of the way that we could operationalize the program. The value to a security operations center or a CISO is that the advancements that we're seeing in CDM, you know, we are poised to, to ensure that uh, first responders, cybersecurity first responders no longer need to rely on emails and conference calls as their first tool of choice when it comes to responding to incidents and coordinating. But we're actually, through CDM, ushering in a new era where the government and interagency partners um, have cyber situational awareness, which is you know just only a few clicks away. And, and that's through that CDM dashboard hierarchy. That is the way that we're providing value both at the agency level as well as understanding what agency peers might be seeing. And we can share that information back and forth. Another thing that, that probably doesn't get discussed enough when it comes to CDM is really the way that we've been able to evolve the business side of the program to make sure that we're speaking in a way that resonates to chief information officers and, and, and budget officers within an agency that are thinking about, well, how do we, how do we make investments in cybersecurity to advance this mission? How, how can we leverage shared services or how can we leverage something that CISA might provide us for uh, some period of time before we take on the costs? And in the early days of CDM, we made every attempt to simplify a very complex endeavor uh, providing specific cybersecurity services and solutions in an architecture, and then applying that to small groups of agencies. And that was to, to avoid having 101 uh, different bespoke solutions for every agency. And what we found at the time was what we gained in some efficiency, we actually lost in uptake and sustainment. Those two things are extremely important for us. We really need to make sure that Agency leadership at every level, from strategic to programmatic to operational, is fully bought in to what the value proposition is and what they're getting from CDM and what they can provide to CISA through ease of use and efficiency through the CDM program, through the dashboard, the hierarchy, the solution itself. Um, that's really important for us. And, and recently, we found a lot of success in 
transitioning to those operational use cases through the deployment of endpoint uh, detection and response capabilities. And instead of saying, we have one solution or three solutions, and we'll provide those through a standard architecture and agencies will basically have, have that capability happen to them, we've changed the model quite a bit. And we've modernized it so that this is part of an ongoing discussion with agencies to understand uh, basic requirements of what we would be looking for from these types of capabilities, offering agencies a way to gain access to them at no cost uh, through funding that we have centrally, and then working with agencies to integrate and leverage our own contract vehicles to fill specific gaps. So what we're doing now is finding ways that we can resolve longstanding agency technology challenges, something that they may not have been able to um, select or procure or integrate themselves and finding ways that we can be more of a partner in that acquisition, that integration and that operationalization. And that has really changed the way that we're coordinating to make sure that this is sustained. This isn't something that kind of, there is a cliff that we, uh, we provide funding and then it stops. This is something that we as CISA are thinking is so critical to this mission that we need to sustain this. And the, the best way to sustain it is to make sure that we're all swimming in the same direction, that we are all on the same team, making sure that we're making decisions as CISA and the agency together. I noticed the incorporation of EDR capabilities into CDM is a relatively recent development. Can you talk about how that happened and maybe why those you know legacy, I guess you could call them CDM capabilities, married up well with the EDR capabilities to kind of get you to where you are today? The story of how CISA began the EDR, the Endpoint Detection and Response tooling side of the program, is really in direct response to, as I, as I said earlier, those major cyber events that we've experienced since 2020 or so, uh, and the need for the government to find some way that we're getting ahead of the threat. We can no longer operate without a certain level of operational visibility. And so providing the tools, the capabilities, the insights to agencies supports not only the agency level, but also what CISA is attempting to do. So that finding ways that we can transform and connect the, the government as a whole, that operational cyber community, is really to enable the rapid response to emerging threats. So no longer counting the current state of a network but finding the kind of always on continuous monitoring side of the network that has been so important from the get-go. And um, I, I think from the very beginning of the program, first and foremost, uh, we have successfully uh, worked to overcome the longstanding asset management challenge at agencies. The CDM program has been spearheading this effort for a number of years. Uh, you know, the, the, the saying that you can't protect what you can't see and in the early days of CDM, agencies really were underestimating the, the current uh, technology footprint that they had. Uh, that's changed quite a bit, and EDR plays a role, but also, you know, the binding operational directive that we issued last year or earlier this fiscal year, uh, binding operational directive 2301, formalized the standard for asset visibility. And that was purposeful to your question about EDR so that we could say, there is now a way that we are driving adoption and orchestration of the right capabilities to enable this ongoing 
operational visibility across all agencies. And that first step, you know, is oftentimes the hardest. It is challenging for agencies to wrap their arms around an entire agency enterprise. Uh, but in the past six months, we have ensured that all large agencies, the CFO Act, the Chief Financial Officer Act agencies, were connected to the CDM federal dashboard. Uh, many of them are reporting routinely on a continuous basis that the known exploited vulnerability scans uh, that we automated through the dashboards. And we're beginning to integrate these CDM solutions with the modern capabilities together. So everything from endpoint detection and response, uh, which together, when we talk about the CDM data and the host level visibility, benefits the interagency as a whole because we're able to speak the same language, share the lessons learned as we do this, acknowledge gaps that we might be seeing uh, because we're all doing this together. We are all integrating CDM. We are integrating EDR solutions. And by doing that, we're able to now communicate in a way that's more effective from agency to agency as peers, but also as CISA, as that central convener, that operational lead for cybersecurity. Um, so that, that's kind of the first way is that connectivity of uh, providing that new capability so that agencies are seeing the same things and can connect, which brings us to the establishing through EDR to your question that the dynamic and interactive cyber defense opportunities uh, that we have, it is one thing to um, enhance your shared situational awareness and CISA and the agency able to spot problematic trends that we might seeing based on emergent issues. Um, and we are, as CISA, able to be a more proactive partner through that. Uh, however, EDR comes in because this new dashboard ecosystem, when fully integrated into an agency's uh, deployment of endpoint detection and response solutions, becomes really a fully operational direct access line to CISA that can facilitate no-notice technical assistance should you need it, or continuous uh, cybersecurity assessments through the CDM dashboard and through the resources that CISA has to bear and provide that interactive communications. That didn't exist before we had both the authority and the technology to provide EDR solutions to agencies. And now that it does, we're really seeing how we in CISA can lead those actionable context sharing and targeted notifications in a way that just wasn't even uh, imagined you know, five years ago. I think that with the understanding of the threat environment, our ability to leverage these technologies and EDR as an example to gain that automated level of insight across agency environments, but more importantly, kind of the federal enterprise as a whole has really been a game changer uh, and really helped us think about how agencies can and should be focused on unifying their own cyber operations across their agency, building and investing in their foundational cyber activities for things like vulnerability management, and then having that direct uh, communication line back to CISA for threat hunting and incident response and, and anything that would need to be shared to make sure that we can get ahead of the threat. And let's talk about one of the more recent incident response scenarios or actual events with the move it file transfer vulnerability. I understand, you know, CISA was able to 
get kind of real-time visibility into the agencies that were using MoveIt and whether they had patched or not. So I'd love to know a little bit more about how that worked out. I'd be happy to. I think we have two really good operational use cases that, that are worth discussing as it relates to CDM evolution uh, into this operational realm. And the first is, you know, in the past month, we in CISA have leveraged the CDM capabilities as part of um, the, the broader response effort because they happened uh, around that same time. The broader response of two concerning cyber events. The first, uh, you mentioned move it critical vulnerability, CISA operators analyze near real-time agency dashboard reporting to coordinate targeted notification just to the agencies where we were seeing this move it transfer critical vulnerability to understand the prevalence within minutes across the entire federal ecosystem. CISA was able to see where this critical vulnerability was, who was using this particular type of software, and how we could provide some kind of guidance or notification or support to those agencies and provide that awareness to the larger enterprise as a whole. That was something that's a significant improvement to the way that we operate that, that um, is fairly new. This is part of that evolution to, to operations for the CDM program. And that type of standard procedure to check CDM for operational data to gain insights into prevalence really helps CISA make better informed decisions. I, I think it goes without saying that we, we don't take the decision to issue an emergency directive lightly. And in this case, we didn't for the move it vulnerability, uh, but even convening the entire community, all cyber experts across the community to convene all agencies at once to coordinate specific actions also impacts resources. So regardless, whether we are directing an action or convening or uh, reprioritizing, those things have a cost. And so we really are fortunate now to have that level of visibility for prevalence, to understand and manage risk as we're seeing it. Uh, and the fact that we're able to gain insight and share information and make an enterprise impacting decision so quickly is really a substantial step forward for us. And, and if CISA can do it for the enterprise, you can imagine that agencies at their level have access to an even enriched level of data across their enterprise. So we can all be making these uh, decisions together and being able to really quickly respond to what is happening across the environment. And, and ultimately, I, I think that it is important for CISA to position itself to be more responsive, make better informed reactions. But we also want to leverage this investment, this CDM solution investment to get ahead of the threat and to spot trends and risks that we're seeing before they materialize. And that is really where CISA is going to ensure that we have operationalized this investment, this opportunity uh, of the CDM dashboards across agencies to get ahead of the threats as opposed to solely responding to them. And I think another really good example is in recent weeks, uh, there was a response effort to a widespread email security gateway exploit. And this is a very different type of use case. Attackers were modifying their targets and techniques to evade uh, modern protections. Uh, this wasn't like a critical vulnerability that we were responding to. This was something that we saw an exploit and we were seeing bad actors actively uh, working and you know gaining access based on it. So CISA threat hunters 
utilize the CDM endpoint detection and response platform. So the CDM hierarchy itself in collaboration with an impacted agency to directly access the agency's environment to search for instances of threat activity. So really working shoulder to shoulder with agency staff to hunt for specific activity or understand what might be happening or to just see if it was uh, related to the active exploit. It could be nothing. It could be something. And this is why that direct line, that interactive access that CISA now has through CDM is is so vital. And, And we couldn't have been successful in that first example, the move it example, without all agencies connecting to the dashboard ecosystem and standardizing their asset management and consistently reporting host-level information to the dashboard. We, we wouldn't have been able to take the actions and make the decisions without that. And you know, we couldn't have been successful in the second example without strong partnerships with agencies, that interactive connection with the dashboard hierarchy, the new authorities that we are leveraging to ensure we can provide on-demand, no-notice technical assistance to support agencies and work through what it means to respond quickly to events. And I think this really demonstrates what the government gains from evolving our collective and interactive cyber defense posture. Again, where CDM is going is different from where we came from. And I think it's an evolution of the way that we are operationalizing and you know, the threat environment really driving us in the direction of needing to do more as a community, needing to do more as a collective and considering things like enterprise, uh, you know, unified response to these efforts as opposed to individually. Got it. And, you know, just going forward in terms of this vision of spotting trends and getting ahead of threats and just in general, the CDM program, are there any specific initiatives or developments coming up here in the future that you can highlight for us? For sure. I think the, the third that dovetails nicely into the third area that I've been saying is really the the evolution of how the CDM has has shifted into an operational program is integrating all of its capabilities into the broader CISA of cyber services um, to help us identify what needs to happen next and how entities, agencies in this case, need to build capacity. Uh, based on that that awareness, what we're seeing from the tooling and what we're seeing from the dashboards can drive those decisions moving forward. And um, you mentioned uh, where where we may be going next and the things that are top of mind for us. We're, we are navigating really increasingly um, challenging and complex global threat environment uh, and the interconnectivity and third-party risk and the way that we're thinking through integrating our services with zero trust principles and building off of the recent advances that we made through asset management. Again, kind of a basic some, you know, enterprise cybersecurity step one. How do we continue to improve to account for cloud environments and mobile devices uh, and uh, resolving agencies' longstanding challenges with things like identity management? I think going back to the basics is almost as important as identifying the new and emerging trends. And I think finding a way that CDM can stand in the middle of those two things, find a good balance and pull them together is really our unique position in the federal government and our ability to provide capabilities and support to do that 
uh, in an effective way. And you know, as we're working to optimize the operational use of CDM, we're also thinking about how we can integrate with you know, our CISA protective DNS uh, resolver service, our secure cloud business applications baselines. You may have seen the SCUBA baselines on uh, email protection and security. Um, these are all emerging initiatives that we're thinking about, not as you know, individual programs, but as a collective, how can CISA take meaningful steps forward to unify our technical services uh, with our practitioner-centric engagements in mind? How can we ensure that we're heading in the same direction, we're communicating the right things, we're prioritizing effectively, uh, and always thinking ahead of the threat, being able to respond before we're um, solely in kind of an incident response mode. And for me, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about the next uh, several years and the trends that we're seeing currently when not all uh, you know, malicious activity is based on vulnerabilities. And we know that we have seen uh, malicious actors using tools really as designed, but doing it in, in a malicious way, finding a way to leverage uh, you know, software and technology for the purposes that they're designed for, but turning that into something that meets their malicious objectives uh, is something that you can't get in a vulnerability scanner. This is something that we in the program are exploring ways that we can, you know, monitor TTPs and, and support agencies in hunting their environments and looking for patterns in logs. That has been a a top of mind concern for the government log management and the way that we are able to really optimize and leverage it so that we're not solely closing resource gaps in known exploited vulnerabilities and vulnerability management as a whole, but thinking about the best way that we can um, you know, monitor environments and understand what we're seeing, uh, which in some ways are not those, you know, top of mind critical vulnerabilities, but they're process-based information. They're you know, behavior-focused analysis uh, so that we can see uh, ways that SOCs, Security Operations Center analysts can enhance their log management, consider ways to use new tools for host-level visibility, and have CISA as a backstop uh, for incident response or threat hunting should they need it at some point in the future. Got it. That That's a great overview. And on the logging uh, really quick, I know that's been such a big focus for agencies. Uh, does, you know, CDM provide any sort of logging capabilities right now? And are you envisioning that expanding in the future in terms of what the program provides to agencies? You're absolutely correct that logging is top of mind for agencies, both at the, the way that they can you know, manage their logs in a more efficient way or optimize what they currently have or retain them for a longer period of time. That has been something that was top of mind for the administration through you know, the cyber executive order and, and, um, and policies this year as well. Um, it, it's a challenge area. It, it's a resource gap that many agencies are experiencing. It's something that CISA through our endpoint detection response activities are looking at what is operational visibility mean to us at CISA? What should it mean for agencies? And how can we collectively address that challenge together, uh, whether it be through log management or enhancements that we can make, capabilities that we might offer? We're exploring that actively right now. We have uh, you know, pilots underway to think about the best ways that we can gain more operational visibility, leverage it 
uh, to support agency missions as well as the CISA overarching missions. Uh, and that's, that is you know, where we're at right now, finding ways that we're staying ahead of the threat in this dynamic threat environment. And so um, more to come from the CDM front about what, what is next on the list of new capabilities, but that is certainly top of mind as we're exploring the best ways that we can add value. Michael Duffy, CIS's Associate Director for Capacity Building, speaking with Federal News Network's Justin Doubleday. There's more to the interview. Hear it in its entirety and check out Justin's story at federalnewsnetwork.com. Leadership today, especially within the federal workforce, is being tested more than ever before. Everett Kelly, National President of the American Federation of Government Employees, joins Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA, to share how his upbringing in rural Alabama eventually propelled him to the forefront of thousands of union members raising a collective voice. After years of leadership with both the largest federal employee union and as a pastor, Everett Kelly reflects on his deep-rooted values of integrity and hard work. Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I'm your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. Today I'm joined by Mr. Everett Kelly, National President of the American Federation of Government Employees. Everett, welcome, and thank you for being here. Shane, thank you. It's a pleasure. It's mine. You first joined AFGE in 1981 during what eventually became your 30 years of service at Anniston Army Depot. We're now more than 40 years past 1981, and you've been the union's national president since 2020. How's your decades-long involvement with AFGE impacted the way you view your role now as the union's leader? The time that I spent as local president, I simultaneously spent that same time as a pastor in Alabama. I like to say that this was my training ground because as I was entering into the role of unionism, I was also entering into ministry. And so I see my role even as the union leader as ministry. It's never an understatement because this is what I believe. I believe that if you love people and show people that you love them, people will follow you. My business is in the business of growing people, uh, and that's what I do. And I I think that my training as a pastor and as a union uh, leader has given me the ability to really, you know, uh, grow people because I feel like that, you know, it's my responsibility both as a union leader and as a pastor to ensure that people have a livable wage, It's also uh, my responsibility to ensure that people are treated fair with dignity and respect on the job. And I think that goes in both uh, arenas. So so I've seen this, you know, as ministry, as I've grown through the four decades of leading people. Putting those two together is amazing. AFGE handles a massive array of issues and topics of importance to feds across many departments and agencies. What is it like being at the forefront of all those moving parts, and how do you manage it all? Well, first of all, let me give kudos to my staff, okay? Uh, Because it's just no way that I could manage all of this work and all the moving parts by myself. But I have an excellent staff that always makes sure that I'm prepared and that I'm ready. But it's exciting. It's exciting to be out in the forefront, you know, uh, bringing people to the realization that they have something to fight for. But again, I cannot 
And please understand, when I say I cannot, it's, 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 it's what I truly believe. I cannot do it without a good, strong staff. Uh, and I tell anybody that, but I enjoy fighting for the cause. I enjoy standing in front of a group of AFG members, calling them to action, and then standing back and watching that action come to fruition. Because I know that I'm not the one that's doing it. Okay? They are the one that's doing it. I'm merely casting a vision. Right? And I enjoy casting a vision and then watching that vision come to fruition. And it's the staff and the members that get that done. As CEO at, at WEPA, I completely and totally understand that we rely on them. It's not Absolutely. just nice to have. We rely on Absolutely. them. Absolutely. As AFGE president, you often speak at union rallies and other events widely attended by federal employees. What's it like to experience that direct connection to employees? And how does that influence your leadership style? You know, that gets me excited, okay? To be standing in front of a group of AFGE leaders get me excited. To hear the words, who are we, and the chants that come back that says AFGE gets me excited. It gets my motor uh, running, if you will. And it's exciting to look at them and see the motivation in their faces, when they're fighting for a cause and, and, and all of us come together and fight uh, in solidarity, fight as one, raise one voice. You can't explain the feeling. You just know that it's right. You know, I just know that it's right when I'm standing there and I feel this and I never fail to say thank you again because I'm the one that merely cast the vision. They are the ones that get the work done. And so when I see them out there ready to go and that call to action goes out, and then I see them really begin to march on that uh, initiative. It's an energy that I cannot explain. I can explain it. I'm feeling it right now. <laughs> um, de describe how your personal background and upbringing folds into how you function as a leader. You know, understanding that I was born in the Deep South. I was born in a little small town in Goodwater, Alabama, population 1,292 today. Born to parents that, and I hope I don't offend anybody, and I've got to quit saying this, but, but I was born to a set of parents that believed and trusted in God. And that began to establish who I was. I began to trust God myself in everything that I do. I, I trust God even in this situation as a union leader, because my parents taught me to believe in uh, the Bible. And with that came, do unto others as you would have them to do unto you. In other words, treat people right. Treat people with respect, right? Do what's right. It taught me, you know, about integrity, right? It taught me about being honest, you know, and that's what's needed in the role of a leader of this union. It, it, it's, it's needed uh, and, you know, I try to portray that. I try to portray a person of honesty and a person of integrity. And so being in the Deep South, you know, you, you, you just learn those things. And that's what has helped me uh, throughout my path as a union leader. And it's always nice, that whole approach, because you don't have multiple approaches with different people or different sets of different tasks, different energy. It's, it's always straightforward, yes. honest, here's the truth. Yes. And it, it's, it's easy. Yes, right? yes. It's a lot easier than having multiple personas. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. What's one piece of advice, if you could go back 
and tell yourself when you were starting your career? You know, I don't know you asked for one, but I'm, I'm going to have to elaborate on two, yeah, if that's yeah. okay. Number one, I would explain the urgency of integrity a lot sooner than what I did, right? Because to me, integrity is not necessarily what you see others do or what others see you do, but integrity to me is what you do even when no one is looking. And so I, I would really begin to stress that importance more so at an earlier state in my leadership role rather than the latter part. Okay, I begin to stress that more now, but I wish I had began to do that more at the earlier states in my uh, role. Secondly, I would tell myself to always, and I'm going back to my roots, always work hard and don't ever accept no as an answer, right? Because I just believe that if you want it bad enough, if you want to achieve it, you can. It's all about the amount of work you put into it, right? And the and the amount of faith you have that it can be accomplished. So when I look at AFGE and its membership and where we were four or five years ago and where we are today, that's a reminder that you can do whatever you want to do if you put your mind to it and work hard enough. And one question that's always kind of interesting at, at the end of our time together is, is there one person, you mentioned your parents before, mm-hmm. um, is there one person or maybe more than one who really inspired you when you were younger that you might even think back on today? It was my grandmother, you know, with the understanding that when and when I was born, right, as I said, I was born in the Deep South. My father worked extremely hard. We didn't have a whole lot. You know, my, I had 12 siblings. And so when I was born, I was very sick. As a matter of fact, the doctor said I wouldn't live to be 16 years old. The doctor said I wouldn't ever hold a job. But my grandmother would always teach me how to pray. And she taught me about faith. And it is prayer and faith that has allowed me to be standing here today. Suppose I've been dead 50 years ago, but I'm 66 years old now. And it's all because of my faith and my belief and my prayer life. And I believe that beyond a shadow of a doubt. Amazing story. Thank you for sharing all of it with us, Everett. And really appreciate you being on the show today. That's just mine. And this is Shane Canfield. We'll see you next time on Lessons in Leadership. Find the full podcast and future episodes of Lessons in Leadership on the Federal News Network app and anywhere you enjoy your podcasts.